0: Welcome to the Armory Ministries broadcast, where we're committed to equipping Christians with the full armor of God, enabling you to face the daily battles of life. The Armory Ministries is dedicated to the good news that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by the authority of scriptures alone, all for the glory of God alone. And now, here is your host, Michael John Beasley welcome to the Armory Ministries broadcast I'm your host Michael John Beasley I'm so glad that you're listening in today this is our inaugural uh, program here at the Armory Ministries broadcast the goal of the Armory Ministries is to equip believers in the manner that is so beautifully illustrated in John Bunyan's classic work The Pilgrim's Progress there we find the main character whose name is Christian he's brought into the place that is called the armory. And it is here that believers are equipped with the full armor of God. And this is uh, clearly reflective of what Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 6 where he exhorts us as Christians to take up the full armor of God. And then he says, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Now, Paul's emphasis on the realities of evil are so clearly articulated in the prior verse, in verse 12, where he says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, the armory really represents the battle that we face in daily life, we understand that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, his demonic cohort, uh, along with the fallen men of this world, they all labor in a wicked and evil co-belligerence against God and his people. And so this reminds us of the fact that we face a daily battle, but the good news is, is that we are sufficiently supplied by our God who gives us daily provisions of grace Uh, strength, the leading of the Spirit, along with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, as Paul teaches in Ephesians 6. We have the shield of faith the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And also we have the battle strategy that Paul articulates in Ephesians 6.18 where he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So the armory represents our calling to be equipped, built up, strengthened in in the strength of his might, knowing that it is God who supplies all that we need in order to face the struggles of daily life. And that's the agenda really here of the Armory Ministries is to build you up, to strengthen you through the teaching of the Word of God and uh, through the exhortation of the scriptures. Now, in this inaugural program of the Armory Ministries broadcast, I wanted to give you a summary of the content that you can expect to find here. First of all, most of the programs will be an outflow of my own ministry as a pastor. Uh, I have served as a pastor for uh, 23 years, and during that time, I've had the privilege of preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and writing books and ministering in general, and And so um, I'll have the opportunity to draw from that and uh, share a number of programs with you uh, based upon some of the content of that. Right now, we're going through the book of Jude, and so we'll have some lessons from that excellent epistle as well. Second. Many programs will supply a polemical analysis of various forms of false teaching that we have in our world today, and sadly, as you well know, we have many different false teachings in the world today. Um, In those polemical lessons, in those programs that are uh, mostly polemical, it's important to state that the goal of those programs will be to destroy, as Paul says, the speculations and every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Paul makes a distinction between his uh, destruction of those faulty ideas that compete with God's word versus the people themselves. He says that he was about the business of destroying speculations, but he was not about the business of destroying people. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says that he was not seeking to destroy the Corinthians, but that he was seeking to destroy the false speculations and the false forms of reasoning that men were raising up against the knowledge of God. That's a very important distinction. Our goal is not to destroy people. Actually, in order to help build you up, uh, it's important to tear down some of the false constructs of thinking that are out there in the world today. We all need this. Thirdly, another category of programming that you can find here at the Armory Ministries will uh, provide scriptural lessons through John Bunyan's classic work Pilgrim's Progress. This is a, an excellent book uh, that has been uh, translated uh, into more than 200 languages and has never been out of print. Uh, it has been a favorite work for many believers uh, throughout the years, especially through the late 17th century uh, and the 18th and 19th centuries primarily. It's, it's a book that's for the most part been lost in our modern day Uh, Spurgeon read it regularly and he illustrated his sermons with stories from Pilgrim's Progress. His own son, Thomas Spurgeon, referred to Pilgrim's Progress as being milk for babes and meat for men in order to point out the fact that it really is profitable for all believers of all ages. And uh, I want to supply a number of lessons from Pilgrim's Progress for you, ultimately going to the scriptures uh, in order to show that that this was really Bunyan's goal, is to bring us not to his book, but to bring us to the book that is the Word of God through the allegory of Pilgrim's Progress. So we'll have a number of programs that are uh, presented in that fashion. Fourth and finally, uh, on occasion, I'll be introducing... um, a number of uh, instructions and lessons where we'll go through and talk about various uh, hymns and spiritual songs, both past and present. And this is important because I believe that um, in many churches today we really have a kind of a, a warfare that is going on. A lot of music ministries today are taking over the priority of the pulpit and the priority of preaching. Um, The late J. Vernon McGee used to observe and say that uh, when Satan fell from heaven, he fell into the choir loft. Uh, I I think he has some uh, uh, good insight in that. I'll never forget a a moment when we traveled a number of years ago to a Baptist church in Southern California where I went to preach. And something very interesting happened after I preached. Uh, An entire crew came in and they began to dismantle the uh, staging area where the pulpit was and one of the first things that they did was they removed the pulpit and they replaced it with a, a band. And in some respects, it was very symbolic of what is happening in a lot of our churches today. Churches are now giving themselves over to uh, rock and roll music and music that appeals to fleshly interests. And instead of being concerned about the preaching of the word of God or even the content of the songs that we sing, um, this is a, a broader subject that we we won't be getting into in its entirety here and now, but I'm just letting you know that this is something that I do want to address from time to time, to talk about good hymns, bad hymns, good songs, bad songs, why they should be, uh, why some are good, why some are not so good. And uh, in some respects, what I'd like to do is um, draw your attention to some ancient hymns that again have been set aside or have been forgotten uh, in the modern day. In fact, that's really what I want to do in this inaugural program with you. Uh, I want to bring you to and draw your attention to an excellent hymn that has been really the thematic hymn for the Armory Ministries for a number of years. In fact, you already heard the tune for this hymn at the introduction. Uh, the tune is the tune named Ruther- Rutherford. The hymn to which this tune uh, go- with which this tune goes is the hymn called "The Sands of Time Are Sinking." Now, uh, this this hymn, "The Sands of Time Are Sinking," uh, is really a composition of excerpts from letters written by the Scottish Covenanter preacher Samuel Rutherford. And he wrote a great number of letters while he was in prison serving time for his opposition to the State Church of Scotland. And So he would write members of his congregation while he was in prison. A great number of these uh, men of yesteryear did a great deal of work while in prison. In fact, having mentioned John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. Many of these uh, nonconformist preachers had to serve time for a great number of years. Rutherford is one of those individuals. Um, now, Rutherford Samuel, Rutherford Samuel Rutherford did not write the hymn "The Sands of Time Are Sinking" directly. His writings uh, really produced the substance for the hymn, but the individual who compiled the hymn and wrote it directly is Ann Ross Cousin. Uh, he took. Uh, she took. Uh, 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 his letters and composed many of his sayings into hymn form. And the original hymn uh, actually contained, mark this, 19 verses. Though most of our uh, modern versions of the hymn only contain about four or five verses, if you look it up in your hymnal. Uh, It has uh, been recorded now that Rutherford's dying words were Glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Now remember that because as um, you're going to have an opportunity to hear this hymn and listen to the lyrics of the hymn as I'm going to share it with you, Uh, Ann Ross Cousin took the last breath of Rutherford, his last dying breath, and repeated that statement of glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land throughout the hymn. Uh, Most of the 19 original verses contain that almost as a refrain, but it's it's contained in each and every verse. Um, And it's an excellent Uh, statement that conforms to the title of the hymn itself. The sands of our life and, and our time, they're sinking. And so there's coming that day when we will utter our last breath as Rutherford did in his day. And so the hymn really brings us to this meditation and consideration of the fact That we're all living our lives in such a way that the sands of our our time, they're going and they're going and they're going and there's coming that day when we will be with the Lord forever and we need to live our lives with that sense of anticipation when we will be with the Lord forever. Now, let me introduce you to the hymn and let me introduce you to each verse and I'm going to just go through four verses of the hymn. Again, we can't go through all 19. Um, But we'll go through four, the four main ones that typically appear in hymnals today. The first verse begins with uh, the very title of the hymn itself. The sands of time are sinking, the dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. This idea of passing from this life into the next. Then it says, Dark, dark dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Listen to the first verse as this is performed by the excellent uh, group Altar of Praise Chorale. <laughs> Excellent. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love the uh, introduction of voices only. Uh, I love instrumentation too, but sometimes just listening to the human voice singing and declaring the praise of God is such a wonderful thing. The verse 2 then begins as follows. It says, O oh Christ, he is the fountain, the deep sweet well of love. The streams of earth I've tasted more deep I'll drink above. What a wonderful way of saying that we experience such sweet expressions of God's love and His grace and His mercy now. But eternal glory will be that much better. Uh, What a wonderful way of expressing the fact that we're so blessed now as believers, but how much greater will our blessings be? In heaven, some day. Then it says this There to an ocean fullness his mercy doth expand. And there again it states, And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Listen to verse 2. Oh. three verse three gives us a, a beautiful and rich reminder to all of us about the truth of the fact that we will enter into heaven not by our merit but by the sole merit of Jesus Christ. I have to say, especially recently I've had to encounter and face a number of concerns about the weakening position of many who claim to hold the gospel, who claim to herald the gospel, a weakening position concerning this idea of our being justified by the righteous merit of Christ alone, and that it is only through faith in Him that we are thereby justified by His righteousness. Listen, this is not some doctrine that can be set aside as being that which is irrelevant. In fact, one program I'll hopefully do uh, very soon will deal with Douglas Wilson, who was recently interviewed, and he seems to wish to uh, sideline this idea of justification uh, through faith in Christ alone. wanting to say that um, men like G.K. Chesterton, who did not believe in justification by faith, that he was a a believer simply by the fiat and opinion and and ideas of Douglas Wilson. Listen, if we do not believe that Christ alone is the basis and source of our righteousness and our salvation, um, then we have no hope. Verse 3 really underscores that point. It says this, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. Listen to this. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. Praise God for that. And then it says, Not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. We stand on nothing else but the righteousness of Christ. We have no right to heaven apart from him. So listen to verse three as it is uh, now performed. Now, before we get to the final concluding verse here, at least in the four that we're sampling here, um, let me let me share a personal story that uh, I think of, I can't help but to think of whenever I sing this concluding verse of this great hymn. Um, it has to do with my own marriage to my wife, Sandra. Twenty-eight years ago, we were married, and uh, I had the privilege of being joined together with her in holy matrimony my wife, uh, in preparation for that wedding ceremony, made her own dress. And I remember talking to her about her labors on this dress. And Of course, I didn't have a chance to see it until the wedding day, Um, but in hearing about it, I was filled with all kinds of anticipation uh, to see her labors. And um, she put all these beautiful details into the dress. Uh, I don't remember how many buttons are on the dress, but it has uh, Um, many many such details of lace and buttons and so forth. She labored very hard on this. But I'll tell you this, on our wedding day, neither she nor I were thinking about her dress or my suit, my tuxedo. We were thinking about the beauty of the fact that God was joining us together in holy matrimony in Christ. That was our focus. It, It was not on our garments. It was really on the Lord who was joining us together Uh, as man and wife. And that's why I I mentioned this story, because the concluding verse that we're considering here, it's typically the concluding verse of the hymn as it's presented in most hymnals, is this particular verse, verse 4, as we're summarizing it here, or as we're uh, looking at it here. uh, It reads as follows, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. Now we're talking about Christ and the church, seeing Him now, Face to face uh, without the veil of sin. And then so it says, let me read it again. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace, not at the crown he give, giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Now, listen to this fourth verse. Glory. Beautiful. <laughs> I have one more thing to say about this great hymn that um, stirs my heart every time I hear it or sing it. Um, there's one more personal component to this hymn that makes it so endearing to, to me, um, and it's the reason why one of the reasons why it is the theme hymn for the Armory Ministries. Charles Spurgeon loved reading. Rutherford's letters, and was very partial to this hymn. And I think that's so evident, particularly in the biography of Spurgeon written by William Young Fullerton. Fullerton describes the last days of Spurgeon in this way. When Spurgeon knew that he was about to die, he knew that his health was failing him. He describes his final days in this way. Fullerton says, quote, they, that is, Mr. and Mrs. Spurgeon, reached the Hotel Beau Rivage in Mentone, France, without incident, and there Mr. and Mrs. Spurgeon had, in spite of his weakness, three months of earthly paradise. On that last evening of the year and on the first of January, he gave two addresses which were afterward published under the title Breaking the Long Silence. On Sunday evenings, January 10th and 17th, he conducted a brief service in his room, reading some of his own writings, and at the close of the second service, he announced the hymn, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And then Fullerton concludes by saying this, and that was the end of all service for him on earth. I find it amazing that Spurgeon, who knew that his life was passing, and that the sands of his time were passing away quickly, that he would choose as a final request, as his final hymn, the sands of time are sinking. It was two weeks later that Spurgeon entered into glory on January 31st, 1892. So I I share this hymn with you because I find that many times we sing hymns and and I'm guilty of this too. Uh, Sometimes we'll sing a hymn and we might sing the words without really stopping and thinking about the depth, the biblical depth of these words, what what it is that they're expressing and conveying, or even sometimes the background of the hymn itself might be far deeper and richer than we might appreciate or understand. I do believe we've been given a, a rich legacy in the hymnody that we possess in the modern day, and it's really a tragedy for us to leave these things behind and to ignore these riches that we do possess. So. In in closing this program, I'd like to leave you now with a a presentation of this tune, Rutherford, for The Sands of Time Are Sinking. It will be performed by a dear friend of mine, uh, of our families, Paul LeClaire, who has uh, done a number of classical guitar pieces for us for some of our outreach ministry videos. And um, so I'm going to close the program playing his version of The Sands of Time Are Sinking, Uh, But until we're together again, I wish you God's precious grace and remember to stand firm in the strength of His might. This has been a broadcast of the Armory Ministries. If you would like more information or would like to learn how you can support this ministry with your prayers and financial gifts, please visit us at thearmory.org. That's Armory with a U, thearmory.org.